Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Shoving, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And welcome to a very Christmas special, festive special, whatever special of Original versus Remake. Oh, very Christmas festive special. Yeah, festive special, we'll stick with that. <laughs> we are, of course, talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night. The... I don't know, a lot of people like like the OG Christmas uh, slasher film, but it's not really, because Christmas Evil came before it. Um, But the more well-known OG Christmas slashers. Yeah, yeah. If you you talk Christmas slashers, this is usually the one that first comes to mind. And um, it's (laughs) a very generic remake that's probably one of the least exciting remakes we spoke about in about five months. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Real, Real... Mediocre stuff, isn't it? I can't remember the last time we spoke about a remake this bland. Yeah, it hasn't even got the decency to be all and out shit. No. It's just meh. So, starting off with the results of the poll, uh, thankfully, I, I don't have to throw any shade at anyone this month. <laughs> 92% 1984, 8% 2012. About, I think, two or three people voted for 2012. Like, have you seen the original? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, getting into trivia, the original was released in 1984, uh, directed by Charles E. Salyer Jr. Uh, He's made four films, and each of them is a different genre, which is very rare. You don't see that often. Uh, Obviously, he made this as a horror film. He made Encounter with Disaster, which was a documentary, Snowballing, which was a comedy, and The Annihilators, which was an action film. Okay. Yeah, so a variety. Yeah. This basically ruined his career, though. Yeah. And we'll get into why shortly, because there's a lot to talk about. Budget was $1 million, and $1 million, 65000 $1 million, 65000 oh, whatever. You heard what I said. $1 million, $65,000. Um, and the worldwide gross was uh, just under $2.5 million. I mean, that's decent. It's considering, what considering it was only out for two weekends, I think it was, or one weekend. Mm. That's that's pretty impressive. So it opened on the same weekend as A Nightmare on Elm Street, and briefly outgrossed the latter by around one hundred and sixty-one thousand eight hundred dollars. Since this film was playing in more than twice as many theaters as Nightmare on Elm Street, and um, before the gross fell up by about forty-five percent by the second weekend. Uh, even before uh, this film was pulled from theatres. So, yeah, it, it w- did better than uh, an outshoot briefly. I think the controversy helped, though, didn't it? Yeah. The release of this film was picketed by angry parents who were not happy to see Santa Claus depicted as an act of murderer, uh, despite the fact that Tales from the Crypt had done the exact same thing 12 years earlier and Christmas Evil had done the same thing in 1980. As a result, box office sales plummeted once the film was pulled from theatres after barely two weeks and the film was shelved for another year where it saw uh, New Light in an uncut video form. Um, you know, this is a really good point um, that I found on the internet. This, this has been done twice before this. Um, I don't think those films may have got the same sort of marketing as Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. I think that played a big part into it. Um, but it's crazy to think from a 2020 perspective where pretty much anything goes. Um, parent, let's face it, a lot of parents don't give a shit what their kids watch. Um it, it's strange to imagine a bunch of uh, parents protesting a Killer Santa film. 
I think their biggest selling point was their biggest downfall. Mm. Um, I'm I'm assuming um, we've we've seen uh, Christmas Evil. Yeah. And it's a really low budget film. I don't think it would have gotten much marketing. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, the Christmas section is uh, part of an anthology film. Yeah. You know, so it it wasn't nece- wouldn't have necessarily been marketed as a Santa Claus as a murderer film. Um, so uh, this one. In the trailers, the advertising, the everything, it was Santa Claus is a murderer with an axe. Yeah. You know, it's it's what the film's about. Yeah. It's what they were selling to people. That and <clears throat> the fact that this was released after the start of the 80s slasher craze as well. Yeah. So Christmas Evil was released in 1980, the same year as Friday the 13th. It only just started that year, this, this, uh, this new craze. And by 1984, it was in full swing, um, and people were a lot more aware of slasher films by that point. Yeah, yeah, and Christmas, Christmas Evil is actually probably a little more subtle. Well, Christmas Evil is a, a lot more serious. It's a, it's a character study. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's essentially a drama with slasher elements. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Uh, in an interview from the documentary Go Into Pieces, which is a fantastic documentary, um, if anyone hasn't seen it. Um, Lillian Chauvin, who plays Mother Superior, admitted it was a mistake to centre the film's publicity campaign on Santa Claus and believed it would have generated far less controversy, controversy, whatever, if the studio instead focused on Billy's psychological plight, uh, a la Christmas Evil. Yes. Uh, also, in a story by People magazine from November 1984, Robert Bryan, who plays, uh, Robert Bryan Wilson, who plays Billy, uh, age 18, said he felt so ashamed by the, uh, by the controversy that he told his friends and family to avoid seeing the film. However, uh, Wilson reversed his stance years later after attending a 30th anniversary screening and meeting with fans, uh, and he makes appearances now at horror cons and uh, and does interviews on on his work with the film. Uh, he he, Many he will certain well yeah he certainly doesn't look like he did back then anymore. Um, there's been a certain resurgence with Billy um, on gay Twitter. And gay Instagram this year, <laughs> where everyone's realised he was actually very attractive. Yeah. It, it is jarring. Like, when, when you're in the 80s, where you've got, um, you know, you've got Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees running around uh, in, in slasher films killing people, then the killer in this film is like a really ripped, really pretty boy looking guy who. Uh, it doesn't look like a killer at all. I suppose that's the that's the intention. Is he's just an average guy who um, snapped. Yeah. <coughs> just the director probably didn't Excuse have me. any intention of getting a gay following all these years later. No, it's unlikely. The film was known as Sleigh Ride throughout its production. TriStar decided to change the title to Silent Night, Dead Night at the last minute. Um, which I think is a great idea. Well, you had Silent Night, Bloody Night before, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. So it's it's... Not the most original, but it does work. It works very well. <laughs> so this is our most bizarre uh, Siskel and Ebert story so far. We've had a lot of them yeah. on the podcast, but this, he really went over... Well, Gene Siskel in uh, particular went really overboard on this film, um, where he he himself, on his show with uh, Roger Ebert, he read out loud uh, the names of the companies that own distributor TriStar Pictures, uh, and said, then said, shame on you. He also called out the writer, director and producer and said, you people have nothing to be proud of. Get a fucking life. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's a fucking film. It is. And it's not... And the thing is, 
the advertising, I can understand where people would get a misconception that they're showing the actual real Santa Claus as a, as a murderer. Mm. Kind of, if they're not really paying enough attention. But the film is about Billy, who is just dressed as a Santa Claus. That, yeah. That is, he's just dressed as a Santa Claus. At no point do they say that Billy's the real Santa Clo- <laughs> Claus. You, and then you get... And if they did, Years kids later, shouldn't be fucking watching it anyway. <laughs> the film, the film we watched, which was shit, by the way, uh, the one with Bill Goldberg in. What was it called? Santa Slay. Santa Slay. Santa Slay. Yeah. Slay with an uh, with a Y, um, which depicts the real Santa Claus as a murderer, <laughs> and no one had any issues then in two thousand and three. So yeah. it's, it's funny how things change and over time. A lot of issues. And how people, film. when it comes to this censorship, all this uproar the majority of the time you know the people have misconstrued the mm. film or haven't paid enough attention yeah. to the film to realize that their uproar is completely undeserved mm. many of the kill scenes were directed by the editor michael spence uh due to director uh salia jr being uncomfortable with handling the gory the gore heavy parts of the film this is similar to um also, we covered this on the podcast Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 last year. Um, if you want to go listen to that after this. Um, the director of that film was very against... <laughs> he wasn't just uncomfortable handling or He was just against the violence in the films. It's like, what the fuck did you choose to direct it then? Yeah. <laughs> if you're against violence, don't do a horror film. Yeah, it's like The Exorcist 2. That film's shit because the director who went on to direct Deliverance, or already directed Deliverance he before it, um, was against violence, and that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. He, he thought the first film was sick and disgusting, but then made the second film and turned into a fucking disaster. <laughs> Mickey Rooney. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> one of the vocal detractors of the film in 1984 surprised people when he starred in The Toy Maker, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, leading some to call him a hypocrite for appearing in the film. It's been theorised that the film was shot under the title of Toy Maker and Silent Night Deadly Night was added to the title in post-production, without him knowing, to create an in-name-only sequel. And if only if, that if Rooney knew that it was a Silent Night Deadly Night sequel before shooting began, he maybe wouldn't have appeared in the film, considering his feelings towards the original film. I think he was just desperate for money. Um, I don't know. I don't Probably... Um, I, I think if anybody's going to be cancelling anything, it should be Mickey Rooney's performance in uh, <laughs> exactly uh, Breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's. Tiffany's. Um, I think if anything <laughs> deserves an outcry and an uproar, it's it's that performance. So he's not really one to judge. It's such a random one that Mickey Rooney was fucking such a big part in the uh, in the protest and everything. It's just really random. Um. Yeah, probably. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose he had a wholesome image, though, didn't he? And, and, until he, you know, did a completely racist take mm. on a Japanese man in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And, and I've seen um, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. It's very clearly a Christmas horror film. It, there's no way you could have avoided that going into it. Whether we knew yeah, it was Silent Night, Deadly Night or not. Is that. No, no, it's, it's more, like, more like Halloween 3. Um, more okay. Than but still, it's it's a Christmas horror film, and he's acting like he's you know too good for that sort of thing. Yeah, many talks, doesn't it? 
And since the film's re-release in the spring of 1986, almost all advertising for the film, only excluding the Fangoria films uh, re-release in 2013, and the cover art for all the US video releases, is all focused on the controversy created in 1984. So again, it's using that to sell the film now. Yeah. You Which know, works. Yeah. Which is why it did better than Nightmare on Elm Street for its small run. Uh, in an interview with Fangoria, the director said uh, that his film was based on a book called Sleigh Ride by Paul uh, Kamey. In reality, there's no such book. And Paul Kamey, then a student at Harvard University, submitted a script to the producer of the film that had a line about a killer Santa. The producer of the film expanded upon that single idea to make this film and wanted to give Kamey some credit. Um, so, pretend that he wrote a book on it. Oh. Okay. Uh, when the remake... Uh, title, which we'll be talking about shortly, titled Silent Night, was released in 2012. The reaction was the polar opposite of what it was in 1984, with people accepting the concept of a killer wearing a Santa suit, and it may have also been the reason why Fangoria Films decided to re-release the original film, uh, which led to the film finally appearing on cable channels 2 in 2014. Yeah, it's it's out in all its uncooked glory now. Uh, 101 Films recently did a really good release of it, uh, with the second film, and it's completely uncut, and Honestly, that's the best way to watch this film. It completely changed the way I looked at the film anyways. There's, there's so much cut out of the original um, when it comes to the kills and such. Mm. It's easier to take it seriously as a slasher film once those scenes are restored. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you know what? We're watching a slasher film. We want a bit of gore. Exactly. You know, it's not rocket science here. <laughs> the founders of <laughs> no, this is the actual name of the group that protested the film, Citizens Against Movie Madness. <laughs> oh, yeah. The founders of Citizens Against Movie Madness hope to use the victory they secured in getting Silent Night Deadly Night pulled to challenge the film industry on the amount of violence of other films as well. However, the group would fall apart shortly after this film was pulled and would never <laughs> live up to its founders' dreams. Good. <laughs> what a we, fucking we bunch of weirdos. It. When asked during a 2015 interview about all the protests around the film, uh, Linnea Quigley, Slay Queen, star of this film, said, Oh my God, I was shocked when my manager called me in Mexico, uh, where she was filming another film, and said that. Uh, I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, to me, it was just another horror film. <laughs> Couldn't stand the controversy at all. Oh, yeah. No, Linnea Quigley. I mean, do you think Linnea Quigley gets a lot of controversy? <laughs> um, No. Well, I think anyone watching a Linnea Quigley film knows what they want from a Linnea Quigley Quigley film. Yeah. Uh, Six minutes of footage was edited out of the film out of fear of potential X-rating, reducing the runtime from eighty-five minutes to seventy-nine minutes. Uh, The cut scenes included a few extra character beats and some and some more gory shots. The Blu-ray release of the film, a search was conducted for the missing footage for parent and cut version. And even though the footage was discovered in a TriStar Pictures vault, it had been kept in such poor condition that any restoration would be impossible. If watching the Blu-ray, you can see certain noticeable drops in quality um, yeah. between both versions. That's fine. It's not like it doesn't make it unwatchable or anything like that. No, no. Sam Raimi, Albert Magnoli and Ken Quapis were considered to direct the film. Oh, what, in 1984? Yeah. Oh. Well, same year as Evil Dead, wasn't it? Or was year it? after. A year I after. Think, yeah. Oh, well, he, he would oh, have been a big name. Years after Evil Dead 82. Was it 82? I think Evil Dead was 82. Huh. Well, either way, Sam Raimi would have been a well-known 
yeah. name in the genre yeah. by that point. Uh, the uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, um, the the controversy led to Charles Sellier having difficulty finding more work as a director, and it forced him to retire from filmmaking. Uh, and he focused on producing a little more instead. After uh, the film ends with Billy being gunned down, and the camera panning up towards his younger brother Ricky, muttering the word "naughty." This was shot for the sole purpose of setting up a potential sequel that would follow Ricky as a killer. Yes, Which and happened. it did. It did. Thank God it happened. Um, we did an episode on that last year, didn't absolutely, we? Absolutely, we did. And that's the second time we've advertised now. Just make it sound like we just want people to listen to that instead. It's a good episode, go listen. Um, but yeah, it didn't just lead to that sequel. This is a very odd franchise. Um, you got Silent Night, Dead Night 2, which of course follows Ricky and the first film being repeated again. Um, the third film has Bill Moseley playing Ricky and is up there with one of the most, as more, one of the most boring films I've ever seen in my life. He, he like stalks a blind girl and it's just so much just walking around the dark doing nothing. Um, some flashbacks don't even as much as the second film. Part four is about a uh, cult who put slugs in people's bodies. Oh. Sort of like Jason Goes to Hell. Part five is about um, the... The Toy Maker, and that's that's not awful. It's probably the best of the sequels. Um, it's ridiculous, but in the same way Halloween 3 is. You know, it's perfectly entertaining. And then, of course, there was the remake as well. Uh, but before we talk about that, the body count in this film is 14. Is Just, it? Yeah, that's that's a decent body count. That's fairly high. Um, yeah, so remake, Silent Night... The film's so lazy they can't even be asked to use the full title. Uh, released in 2012, directed by Stephen C. Miller, who directed lots of action films, including Extraction, Southern Fury, Escape Plan 2, and In the Line of Duty. All very generic action films. That explains this film. Yeah. The budget was $5 million. Okay. Um, And there are some great practical effects here. Some great pa- practical effects. They didn't spend it on lighting. Though, uh, no, they did not. And uh, it grossed one hundred thirty thousand and seven hundred eighty-one dollars. That is a big bomb. bomb. That is a big bomb. That's a very big, especially means it was released. Uh, well, actually, no, it's less surprising because I suppose twenty twelve was at the end of that remake uh, phase where everything was being remade. Yeah, and I'm, I'm be funny. That's I enjoyed the first film, but it hasn't really gone down as an all-time classic. Um, so well, that's when they're really scraping yeah. to find films to remake. Yeah, I mean, the first film's a cult film, so it's not like audiences in 2012 are like, oh, I know that film. Yeah, yeah, it's not... It wouldn't have been a big name necessarily, I don't no. think. Um, you'd already had your Friday the 13th remake, your Halloween remake, your Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and then this is where you're getting into your random slasher films... Um, like Prom Night, which we did on the original versus remake, and Silent Night, and and My Bloody Valentine as well. We were fortunate yeah. that My Bloody Valentine turned out to be a decent film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is where you really get into random choices for horror films. Well, this one, what really pissed me off with this one is the fact that it didn't need to be a remake. No. They literally added two scenes... And and a throwaway line of dialogue, to, to qualify this as a remake. Yeah. If it wasn't, if 
if they didn't have those scenes, you would never know. Yeah. Yeah, which is just... Ex- just call it fucking Silent Night and be done with it. Exactly. Like, what's... Yeah, just call it Silent Night and just have a film called Silent Night. Yeah. You know, not people aren't going, oh, Silent Night, you're stealing the title. No. Exactly. There are plenty of films called Silent Night. So the film was partially inspired, as well as being a remake, it was partially inspired by the real-life Covina Holiday Massacre, which took place on Christmas Eve in, 20, in 2008, even. Um, oh, I haven't heard of those. No, no. I, I, I'm going to assume that's to do with the backstory thing that they were telling. Probably. Um, this is the third remake of a 1980s horror film in which remake Queen Jamie King stars... Oh, what form was she in? She previously starred in My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. And Mother's Day. Oh, my God. I hated the original Mother's Day. The remake's better than the original. Is it? Yeah. Ooh. May have to do that. Oh, God, don't put me this through This trauma. Still trauma, I think. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Um, oh, they have some sort of involvement. The line, what is this garbage day? <laughs> actually exists in this film and is a reference obviously to Silent Night and Deadly Night 2 uh, when Ricky's on his shooting spree and says garbage day had it already sort of made its comeback then part 2 oh hell yeah I was fucking obsessed with that in like 2008 it's way back all I remember is just on YouTube just Mm. the clip being the worst acting you've ever seen it was when YouTube was first getting big yeah. Um, and that, that was a, between 2006, 2008 in that time. Oh, and that's, that's when I watched it. That's when I was starting to get obsessed with bad films. Um, but yeah, no, it was way before this. Oh, so okay. it, that would have been... Yeah. That People moment. would have gotten the reference. Yeah. Most of the characters... Now, this is probably the most bizarre bit of trivia I've ever given on this podcast. Most of the characters are named after members of the famous Leeds United football team from the 70s. <laughs> Cooper, Giles, Maidley, Revy, Jones, Jordan, McKenzie. Okay. In addition, Brenda Street and Rini's Diner are also mentioned in the script. Why? There's a Leeds United fan. That is so, so... That is more random than Mickey Rooney protesting the original. That That's, is so random. That is pretty random. <laughs> He's not an, he wasn't an English director. I don't think so. So why is he obsessed with Leeds? Is it something to do with Malcolm McDowell? No. Oh yeah, because Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell is American. This. What are you talking about? Wait, what? No, no, he was oh. trying to be American. Well, no, I don't know what he was trying to. Be. I don't know what he was going for. This is the second horror remake of a seasonal slasher film where Malcolm McDowell is starring after playing Doctor Loomis in Halloween. Why? Just, just Malcolm McDowell. Just stay away from remakes, please. <laughs> just don't. He adds, the thing is, he adds these really weird things to the characters. Like, I, like in Halloween, he's like going around with this attitude on him, and it's like, stop it, that's not Doctor Loomis. And I don't, I don't think, and remake has to be the exact same as the original, but this is jarringly different. He's like going to his assistant saying, oh, "I want your opinion. I'll beat it out of you. Give me some PG tips, bitch." Yeah. And it's like, whoa, that is not the same character. What are you doing? And he's the same in this. He practically plays Dr. Loomis again in this. He's just going around like, oh, you put avocado on my burger. And shit like that. It's what the sheriff, fuck are you talking it? about? Yeah, it is weird. It, it is a weird performance. Every single scene he was in, I was cringing so bad. I'm not sure what he was going for. Awful. Ooh. 
Um, the film's Wisconsin setting is a ref- uh, reference to the protest of the original film, which was centred in Milwaukee. 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 Is yeah. that? Oh, okay. Kevin Gruter, who uh, directed Saw 6 and Saw 3D, was originally considered to direct the film. I'm surprised he didn't. It's got his sort of style to it. Uh, Maria is briefly choked. <laughs> like really dark and fast curtains. <laughs> well, yeah, Saw 3D. Saw. Um, Maria is briefly choked with a shower curtain before she escapes the apartment, and this is a homage to Claire's death scene in Black Christmas. Because oh, every Christmas horror film has to have someone being strangled with some sort of plastic bag or shower curtain because Black Christmas. Yes. And Malcolm McDowell was offered a role in Black Christmas but turned it down. The oh, original. What? Oh, what role? Say. I would assume the uh, pianist boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that would have been around the same time as Clockwork Orange. That would have been right after Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah. So I could imagine. And that is all the very interesting facts I have for you about the Leeds United horror film Silent <laughs> Night. Um, so, do you have a summary of the original? I do. Yes, yes, and I wrote it myself this month. So, <laughs> which is gonna be shit then? Yeah. Probably. Oh no, not really, I'm joking. Christmas Eve, 1971. <laughs> Billy Chapman, his younger brother, well, his baby brother Ricky, and their mum and dad go to visit Grandpa in the Utah mental facility. Grandpa is catatonic until Billy is left alone with him. Grandpa tells him that Christmas Eve is the scariest damn night of the year because Santa Claus only brings presents to those that have been good for the whole year. And all those that haven't been good all year long get punished. He warns Billy that if he sees Santa Claus, he better run for his life. (laughs) And that acting from Grandpa. (laughs) Amazing. He looks a bit like Grandpa Seth from Troll 2. Yeah, he does actually. Yeah, it's definitely in the widen your eyes to be more intense school of acting. On the drive home, Billy questions his parents on what his grandpa has said. They dismiss what he said, with mum stating that grandpa is nothing but a crazy old fool. Billy (laughs) warns her that Santa will punish her for saying that. Elsewhere, a shopkeeper is held up and killed by a gun-wielding robber in a Santa suit. That's about it, really. He gets shot in the head, doesn't he? Later scene in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 in the cinema. Yes. (laughs) Played off as a different film. (laughs) Back to the drive home, the Chapmans stop to help this the, the robber, whose car bro- has broken down, well, he's pretended it's broken down. The robber shoots Dad, sexually assaults Mum, and slices her throat. Billy manages to hide, but witnesses the whole event, with Ricky left screaming in the car. We then cut to December 1974. <laughs> it's 1974, but Billy, now sporting a mean <laughs> mullet... <laughs> one of the worst mullets we've ever spoken about this podcast. They have mullets in 74. It's very <laughs> 84. Um, St. Mary, Saint Mary's home for orphan children. Um, he's in trouble, as he is through a lot of the film, uh, for drawing a violent picture of Santa decapitating a reindeer. But it, the way he acts about it, you generally think, oh, this kid doesn't... Did someone just put this there? He doesn't look like he's capable. But that's... <laughs> So he draws the picture and then like, oh, put it on the... And he just puts it on there <laughs> and doesn't realise... What does the girl say? Yeah. Sister, look! <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. <laughs> but it's like, he genuinely... The guy that got to play Billy when he's eight years old, he fucking 
Looks like but, but man in his mouth. Like he. Yeah. <laughs> his chin... that's the point, isn't it? <laughs> but it just looks odd with him. Mother Superior, the old bag that she is, <laughs> is unsympathetic to Billy's issues regarding the death of his parents. Sister Margaret, who is more sympathetic, invites Billy to play with the others in the snow. So what is put on? What? What does he wear when he goes out? What does he wear? Those big old mean fucking white boots. Oh, yeah. That looks like yeah. I, Jessica Simpson would wear them. Jessica like, Simpson. They, they are Jessica Simpson boots. Why are you obsessed with Jessica Simpson? I've mentioned that twice on this episode. podcast. On his way there, though, he encounters a pair of teens getting it on in one of the rooms. <laughs> Mother Superior catches him spying on the lovebirds and punishes the filthy devils with a belt. Filthy belts. devils! <laughs> There's a lot of nipple grabbing in this scene. There is. Far too much nipple grabbing. And who are them? Who are they? <laughs> Some random... Yeah, they're far too old to be there. Yeah. Like, why are they there? <laughs> Mother Superior reminds Billy that what the teens were doing was very naughty. And those who are naughty are punished. Reiterating that punishment is absolute. She then proceeds to beat Billy with her belt for leaving his room without her permission. That evening, Billy has a nightmare about his parents' murders and Mother Superior ties him to his bed after he leaves his room. He's horrible. She's horrible, isn't she? They probably should have done some background checks on her. One thing that is prominent throughout the the first film is this whole um, religious thing um, and religions reliance on punishment and mm. emphasis on punishment 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 which eventually drive you know if billy had had the sympathy that he needed whilst at the orphanage mm-hmm. he may not have eventually done what he did yeah um so I, I definitely think it's it's a bit of a anti-religion film as well and i think potentially yeah. that was the controversy too I don't know. I mean, that's never mentioned. Like, I would have thought that had been more the thing that people were protesting about. Uh, that's what I would have assumed. Rather than Santa Claus being a killer, it's the fact that they're pretty much saying that, you know, religion is you know, an institute that drives kids crazy. Yeah. You know, if, if essentially. Um, but yeah, and even in the sort of making of, there wasn't much said about religion. No. It's something that's completely cut out for the remake. Yeah. Um, really. Um, well, on those things that it's found. But it's a big, big theme of this. Uh, on Christmas Day, Mother Superior sees greed where there should be gratitude. <laughs> and she's pleased that her unsympathetic approach has helped Billy. Later, she forces Billy to sit on Santa's lap leading to Billy punching Santa and escaping to his room. <laughs> and what does she say? William! <laughs> and that's really, it's really cunty of her, to be fair. Like, this kid, his parents were killed by someone dressed as Santa and you're making him sit on Santa's lap. Like, what difference does it really make? I just can't believe how far Santa went when he was punched by an eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah, he flew. He flew. <laughs> Power of the mullet. <laughs> yeah. That's what he did. He whipped his mullet. <laughs> uh, spring 1984, ten years later. Sister Margaret gets Billy a job at the town toy store. Now he's a tall, muscular lad. <laughs> now he's a gay icon. <laughs> now he's a tall, muscular lad serving double denim. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 
fun in it because when he gets to the store, Mr. Sims, or as he's also known, Mr. Sims, um, when he when he gets to the store, he's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to employ anyone. Fuck off. But then like, well, have a look at him, and he's like, oh fucking hell, yeah, you can work here. Well, yeah, well, Mr. <laughs> Sims, because she she goes there. Really, so convoluted joke. Um, stretched out really far. Sister met Margaret gets there and she's like oh you know one of the kids have you got a job and she's like, oh the only job i've got is for a man i need a man not a kid and she's like oh but you haven't seen him oh but i need a man not a kid oh but you haven't seen him oh i don't know back and forth what feels like ages and uh then she's like billy and there he is sort of a double denim a big tall muscular handsome boy next door type and mr sims Gets a boner. Floods his basement and he's like, oh yeah, oh, that won't work here. <laughs> uh, and then we get the highlight of the film um, a montage of Billy doing a really good job and uh, taking a liking to his co worker Pamela whilst the song Warm Side of the Door plays. It's, it's a shame we haven't got it to play. Um, YouTube it or spot it's on Spotify, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's on Spotify. Yeah, it's on Spotify. Um, but it's a very cheesy <laughs> um, ballad. Yeah, um, um, lyrics about eating chicken and gravy. Yeah, um, it, it's it's all about finding the good in life on the other on the warm side of the door. Yeah, it is. It's one of those. Um, quite jarring songs that you, you get sometimes in horror film where you get with horror films you kind of expect a certain um, soundtrack don't you? Yeah. Um, and you know in a slasher film a bloody slasher film uh, you expect like if you're going to have a proper song with lyrics and such it's going to be like a heavy metal song or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you just get this ballad about <laughs> Christmas and, and all that. <laughs> we'll have to... Uh, it's do... so cheesy. We'll have to post it. We'll have to do a, one, um, a, uh, a horror cult trash of uh, Spotify playlists of all these great songs from yeah, the films. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Prom Night will have to be, definitely be on that. Because Prom Night's another really random one with these cheesy songs. Um but yeah, so we get a little montage. He's doing a really good job. Mr. Sims is like perving on him the entire time. He is. And he constantly was... watching his fucking lip touching his nose. And Billy's perving on Pamela. So Billy's supervisor, Andy, reads in the riot act for not working straight after... Yeah, for not working straight after a montage that we've just seen of him doing a great job. <laughs> he tells me he never, he never works unless he's around or something like that. Like, yeah. We've just seen him we've working. We've seen a montage of him working. <laughs> anyway... But and Andy's a, a a twat by all accounts, isn't he? So yeah. I think that's the point. Billy takes a funny turn when he sees the store Santa, and he has a daydream about getting intimate with Pamela, that ends with him being stabbed by Santa, and then him waking up in bed, begging not to be punished. I got a little confused by this scene. So Billy takes a funny turn when he sees the store Santa. And I thought he had a daydream about getting getting it on with Pamela, and getting his hairy ass crack out. I was gonna say, don't uh, don't skip past that. The fact that we see his bum hole, like <laughs> pretty <laughs> much, like <laughs> it's a real close up on his massive hairy ass, and it looks like he hasn't wiped, and he's been through massive shit. Oh my it, god, it looked a bit dirty. Let's face it. Gary, 
meal. Not that I think, just you know, meal. not that I think all the gays on social media mind. I, I think they're probably just happy to see that he got his ass out. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep it classy, yeah? <laughs> Excuse me? What podcast do you think you're on? <laughs> so the, the dream ends with him being stabbed by Santa in the back. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he wakes up in bed begging not to be punished. So I don't know what happened between the funny turn and him waking up in bed, but whatever. Um, I think he was just asleep. I think it's just a dream sequence of him taking a funny turn. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> whatever. Let's not delve too deep. <laughs> like the cameraman did. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Sims, the store owner, and Mrs. Randall discuss the store Santa being injured. And uh, Mr. Sims asks Billy to take his place. And this is the part where you're like, oh, no, bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Billy does as he's asked, but he's clearly not enjoying it, eventually telling a bratty little bitch that naughty kids are punished severely. No one seems to notice the upset child. No, all the mums are like, oh, he's doing such a great job. How does he keep the kids so calm? (laughs) And then she's like crying. (laughs) No one really notices. Uh, Sister Margaret calls to speak to Billy and is horrified to learn of his new position as Santa Claus. Uh, And then we cut to the end of the day. Um, It's the beginning of the store's Christmas party. And Mr. Sims, how does he let everybody know? Tells him it's time to get (laughs) shit-faced. It's seven o'clock. Let's get (laughs) shit-faced. So at the Christmas party, which doesn't seem to be very full... No. Um, there's not much staff. Not many people work there. Not many people work there, even though they seemed quite busy. Um, but yeah, uh, Pamela is lured away with Andy with um, a, a piece of holly, not a piece of mistletoe. <laughs> he treats it as if it's mistletoe, but it's clearly just a bit of holly. Um, so I don't know why she bothered him, because that's not the rules with holly. It's only mistletoe where you have to kiss someone. Um, I've never you ever seen mistletoe in real life. No, I've never. No, I'm, I'm glad I've as seen well. The fake stuff, I've never seen the real You're stuff. A fucking nightmare. Someone walks up to your mistletoe. Get the fuck out of my face. Jesus. It's a terrible tradition. Oh, you think a lot of yourself, don't you? <laughs> when was the last time anyone approached you with mistletoe? I've never seen. We've both never seen mistletoe in our lives, so. I've seen the likewise. fake stuff. It's the real stuff. Anyways. Anyway. Billy is having a terrible time thinking about his parents with Mr. Sims forgetting that he comes from an orphanage. This is a really awkward conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah, great time to be thinking about your parents. Like, My parents are dead. Like, oh, yeah. He's like a drunk break. Like, oh, 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 from an <laughs> Mr. Sims reminds Billy that Christmas Eve is a busy night for Santa and he'd better get to business. Billy obviously takes this as dishing out punishment, doesn't he? Yes, it's always better get to business. It is all actually Mr. Sims' fault. He's the catalyst. Andy wants to give Pamela her gift, which we assume to be his cock. Uh, Mr. Sims and Mrs. Randall sing a song about Santa creeping and and being good, as if they know what's about to happen. it's the song <laughs> Santa's watching Santa's creeping you better be good like um have you seen this film uh, it's oddly specific to the events that are about to unfold um Billy finds Andy sexually assaulting Pamela he has flashbacks to his parents murders 
and strangles Andy with some Christmas lights after declaring him naughty. Um, yeah, so it's a theme that runs through both, uh, not not the remake, but the Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2. God, certainly not the remake. Is um, thing of women's tops being ripped open? Well, yeah, I mean, that is a thing in the remake, but complete, you know... It, no one saves their lives, do they? No. <laughs> it was, no. Um, but yeah, so... He, there are a lot of flashbacks in this film as well. I know the second film has about 40 minutes of flashback, um, but this one also loves to go back to that original <laughs> at, the, at the beginning scene. Um, Pamela is horrified and starts to hit the crazy bastard Billy. And Billy, you know, he saved her life. Yeah, and Billy punishes her by stabbing her with a knife. Box yeah, cutter. a box cutter. Mm-hmm. Oh, same thing. Um, yeah, she... It, I suppose he has just murdered Andy, but you would still... You, I don't know. He's just kind of saved you from a, a mm-hmm. sexual assault. You wouldn't just turn on him straight away, but apparently she did. Um, Mr. Sims goes to investigate the noise and gets bludgeoned with a hammer. Um, then we get Mrs. Randall goes to find Mr. Sims, and she does. She tries to flee the store, but is eventually killed by Billy with a bow and arrow. <laughs> Where the fuck he got a bow and arrow from? From a toy store. I mean, like, yeah, a functional, a like, functional sharp bow and arrow. Bow and arrow. Bow and arrow. <laughs> Where the fuck he got that from? Um, but uh, what? when she was trying to find Mr. Sims, and you, you obviously do a great impression of this, what was she saying? Mr. Sims! <laughs> Endlessly quotable, clearly, this film. Uh, Billy flees and Sister Margaret arrives and discovers the bodies. A young couple are getting it on on the pool table. The young man can't concentrate with the carolers outside, so decides to put some random soul music on. Yeah, there's still Christmas music, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> still Christmas lyrics. The girl, played by Linnea Quigley, uh, who was either a sister or babysitter. I didn't sister. know. Is it sister? Mm-hmm. Uh, has to stop a young girl from coming down the stairs while she's got a top off. Um, she then, minus her top, goes to let the cat in, but she's met by Billy yelling, Punish! <laughs> she's eventually killed by Billy, who impales her on the antlers of a stuffed deer's head. Uh, very much like Pam's murder in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh-huh. Um, her boyfriend goes to look for her, finds her, and after a scuffle with Billy, is eventually thrown out the window and killed. After having his shirt ripped off. Yeah. It's <laughs> a very gay film. The young child sees Billy and asks if he's brought her a present. She tells him she's been good all year and he gives her a bloody box cutter, <laughs> much to her disappointment. Two police officers are on the hunt for Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. And they barge into a nearby house after seeing Santa at the window. Uh, unfortunately, they get the wrong house. And it's a father delivering gifts to yeah. his young child who notices straight away that it's daddy. This is a weird comic <laughs> scene in the film. Daddy! Daddy! <laughs> it's just really strange. It's very out of place. Um, yeah. If it had happened earlier in the film, maybe... With the warm side of the door section, but obviously that wouldn't have made sense. But anyway, uh, two young dudes decide to sled down a hill. Two slightly older dudes appear, 
beat them up and steal their sleds. <laughs> the first one makes it down the hill successfully, but Billy decapitates the second dude on the way down with an axe, <laughs> his headless corpse making its way to the bottom, followed closely by his head. Sister Margaret wakes up at the police station to learn about the uh, three additional murders. She speaks of all that he's been through and they uh, predict his next move, which is the orphanage. At the orphanage, Mother Superior tells the kids to fold up their wrapping paper and write a thank you to Santa for his visit later. <laughs> some stupid bitch leaves the phone off the hook after pretending to call someone, <laughs> forcing the police and Sister Margaret to go to the orphanage. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go now, Santa, Santa's gonna come, yeah, 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 and just leave the phone off the hook. Uh, so, Santa turns up to, well, why can they just have, like, Billy cut the lines or something? <laughs> um, Santa turns up to see the kids, and an overzealous police officer shoots him. Surprised, though, it's not Billy, but old deaf Father O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> Who's playing Santa then? Yeah. I mean, Father O'Brien was a little creepy anyway. He's slowly walking up to the kids like he was the fucking killer. He's deaf. <laughs> of course he didn't hear you. He's deaf. It's Father's old deaf Father O'Brien. The overzealous police officer goes to check the orphanage as the nuns and orphans sing Deck the Halls. <laughs> the police officer is eventually killed by Billy with an axe to the chest. After decapitating the snowman outside, Billy makes his way inside the orphanage, much to the excitement of the kids. Yet the kids just saw Santa getting killed in front of, get shot and killed in front of them, and they're perfectly fine. Mother Superior says there is no Santa Claus, and Billy yells naughty one last time as he raises his axe. But before he can kill Mother Superior, he is shot by the arriving police detective and tells everyone that they are safe now that Santa Claus is gone. Ricky, Billy's brother, who really didn't have much of a part in this film, is horrified. I wouldn't be surprised if you were a bit confused as to who this was at the end. Uh, Ricky is horrified at what he's seeing and we end on his face after he says, Naughty. The, the, the biggest part Ricky had in, in the film prior to that was when he was outside and was like, Ricky, uh, Billy, what's wrong? And his other kid's like, your brother's a nutcase, that's what's wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we've had the whole... Uh, I, who was that? Who was that in the end? <laughs> so, yes, and, and that um, that is Silent Night, Deadly Night, and uh, I had the privilege now of reading out the uh, 2012 remake, which is an Anchor Bay film. Oh. Yeah. We get a Christmas song over opening credits where a man's having a very sinister looking shave in a very dirty looking house whilst a tied up and gagged woman screams. Uh, the shaving guy puts on a Santa mask and suit and uh, he goes to a guy who's tied up in a basement with Christmas lights and electrocutes him. We get the title card. This, this guy in the basement, by the way, talks about how he didn't know he was uh, sleeping with someone's wife or whatever. Um, title card, Sheriff Cooper, Malcolm McDowell, calls Deputy Aubrey, Jamie King, and tells her about a case she needs to go and look at. And uh, when he's on the phone, what does he do? Overacts. Overacts. And he also goes, 
Meow. Oh, randomly yeah. for no particular reason. Oh yeah, again because he hasn't turned up. He was like, oh, someone he couldn't pass up. Meow. Which I'm assuming means pussy. Of course it does. Pussy suspense. That's the level this film's at, by the way. Uh, Aubrey does a crossword for far too long. Oh my god, that crossword went <laughs> nowhere. I thought by the end of the film something was going to happen and she was going to be like, oh yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Exactly. It just disappears. She does so much useless shit. Poor Jane McKing is so underused. I just don't understand this crossword. And it comes up a couple of times. And I thought, oh, is this going to be the way they crack the case? Mm -hmm. Because this this is more of a murder mystery than the first one. The original, we know Mm -hmm. Billy's the killer from the get-go. But there's a big reveal in this one. Um, So I thought, oh, this is going to be part of that. Can't wait. No, doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, she does this crossword, chats to her family, drives around, speaks to people, and you just get so much filler. And just her doing fucking nothing. <laughs> yeah. And then, we take a break from boring Aubrey, and we get a woman trying to take her heart pills, but her obnoxious little bitch of a daughter smacks them out of her hand, starts swearing at her, it's like, fuck Santa Claus, I want a new LV! And, oh, and then she gets a knock on the door, she's like, great, the Salvation fucking Army! Honestly... I don't know why the parent hasn't killed this kid. I know. She is a fucking disaster. It's horrible. Oh my god. And she is constantly at 100 right now in this entire scene, just screaming at her mum. <laughs> oh, and and we don't have to wait too long before Santa ex- executes. I mean, technically. Yeah, before he electrocutes the little cunt. Um, next up, Aubrey goes to a church and looks sad while sad music plays. And because... Every single male character in this film is a creep. And, and most women, other than Aubrey, are, are there for sexual purposes. Um, the priest is a creep. And yeah. uh, he talks to her about how nothing's been the same this year, giving some exposition uh, about a loved one she lost called John, and tells her that Jesus loves her and tells her he'll give her anything she wants. But his whole time's like... Oh, yeah, what about John? And he's talking like such a fucking creep. It's like, okay, you're not very subtle about this, are you? Well, the whole idea is that she's a widow, isn't she? We don't find out what killed her. No, and again, I thought that was going to go somewhere as well. So Giles turns up late for work and makes a joke about Santa getting a boner over kids. I did have lots of boner jokes. He's like, oh, what do you expect when he's got kids on his lap all day? Oh, what? No, Uh, more of Aubrey walking around doing nothing. Um, she literally just walks through the town as like, hi Santa, hi Santa, hi Santa to all the fucking Santas that are about. Um, Santa tells a kid if he doesn't get Christmas presents, his parents have sold them on eBay. Thanks, 2012. Aubrey gives him a talent off. Uh, he's pervy and tries flirting with her, unsurprisingly. Yes. Tells her to sit on his lap and see what comes up and she tells him to tone the fuck down. Never bone a joke. Yeah. Uh, Aubrey just leaves pervy Santa doesn't do anything about him no um, she just leaves him to go and investigate a house with a strange smell uh, there's a Jason Mewes stereotype who is uh, with his grandpa now I wonder what he's here for <laughs> well first of all he's there for Jason Mewes to tell him um, that he's still boning the same girl as before of course because he's a guy in this film that's what they do. And steal some money from him. But Grandpa grabs his hand and gives the Grandpa speech from the original about Christmas Eve being the scariest damn night of the year 
and running from Santa if he sees him. But because it's a remake in 2012, he assesses in an edited demonic voice, of course. <laughs> and the jump scare is extra loud when he grabs his hand. And it doesn't have the same impact when no. the guy's pretty much a lot older. The grandson's a lot older. Yeah. And it's just made a Sudoku reference. Come on, 2012. Yeah. So I have. I didn't manage to get the Sudoku done in your paper. <laughs> what is the obsession with crosswords and Sudoku in this film? It's like this guy is such a minor character as well. Who gives a yeah. shit what his granddad says? He looks like he listens to Norwegian. Uh, of course metal he does. Music, doesn't he? So Aubrey investigates uh, the house from the start of the film, finds the bodies. Um, the people that were killed were uh, Deputy Jordan. And someone who is cheating on her husband uh, that the guy was having an affair with. Cheating wife uh, has been cut into different pieces and scattered around the house. Um, and and like, like I said, you know, the practical effects are good in this. So it does look yeah. great. Yeah. Um, Sheriff Cooper arrives to tell Aubrey not to be a hero because she can't deal with stuff like this. Well, she can't. She's a fucking cop. And I, again, I thought it was going to lead to like her, her dead husband was killed by a Santa Claus or something exactly. like that. Exactly. No. No, and, and that makes even less sense. Why is she a deputy if she can't handle stuff like this? Exactly. Well, but where there's no reasoning for this. It's just she can't handle it. Oh, why? Exactly. Give us a reason, please. He, uh, he has a bit of a bitch about Giles' um, No, not Giles' dead wife. This world got mixed up when it was Giles' uh, uh, wife. About the, the woman um, and Taz Aubrey that he warned... See, this is where I thought it was him. She said he warned Giles... About her because she was screwing the whole town. He slut shames her. So why is he randomly talking about Giles's wife? What? He starts talking about Giles, and he says he warns him about his wife because she's been screwing the whole town. Yeah, Giles is a no, no. His her her, her name was Chapman, wasn't it? Apparently, see, it's a mess anyway. But anyway, he does a bit of slut shaming. It's fucking confusing. Um, and then he says. This sick fuck is going to wish he never stepped foot in my town. Fuck off, Michael McDowell. That's quite a good impression, actually. <laughs> but if Michael McDowell, I don't know if he's going for an American yeah, accent or it not. It doesn't make any sense. One minute he's British, next minute he's American. We then get a really pervy photo shoot um, where the photographer is saying, work the tits, work the tits, work the tits. Yeah. Santa arrives, uh, kills both of the photographers with a sickle, one to the stomach, one to the gooch. Uh, Santa tries to suffocate the photoshoot girl as she, um, but with a shower curtain, she escapes through the bathroom window without putting a top on, of course, runs around topless for far too long, um, whilst he chases her with an axe, chops off her leg eventually and puts her in a wood chipper. Yeah. A very pervy camera angle up her knickers. Yeah, it just, it feels a bit gross. And I know it's a horror film, it's meant to feel gross. But, yeah, but it feels different to the usual. It's, why, so your longest death scene, she has to be topless for the whole thing. And then she gets put in the wood chipper, just, oh. It's weird, because My Bloody Valentine has a really long death scene of a woman running around, you know, full frontal nude. Um... But it still doesn't feel as pervy as this does. Like, there's just something about this film where... it's. Like, I think it's because every fucking male character is a perv in the film. And it feels yeah, like I a 12-year-old so. has wrote the film. Yeah, I think so. Aubrey finds... All for, we're all for body positivity. Oh, right? yeah. Okay, you know, if, if that's what the actress wants to do and she's fine with it, then that, that's great, you know. i got no issues with it, but it's just... 
when it when a film feels so immature, mm. then it just it feels stupid. Aubrey finds the. <laughs> Sorry, it's just made me think of uh, <laughs> that shitty film we watched at Fright Fest. Which one? <laughs> the fucking Christmas one. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the one with the Harley Quinn and Joker yeah. ripoff. Oh, God. Oh, we will never be discussing that on this podcast. Uh, Aubrey finds the photographers and tells Sheriff Cooper that they ran a softcore porn website. Aubrey, how the fuck do you know that? It's not like you're going on fucking porn sites regular, is it? You do fucking crosswords. Her husband's dead. Of course she's on porn oh, sites no. regular. Sheriff Cooper goes to the spoiled brat's house. Um, Aubrey finds a video camera at a softcore porn crime scene. Uh, the mayor's daughter and some other girls sing Silent Night in sexy Santa outfits. And Come on, me girls. Well, <laughs> this is for a very, very different reason. The, the priest turns up and starts taking pictures of the tits. Yeah, essentially. And we obviously get to see the pictures. Because it goes on a, yeah, and it goes on a long time, this scene. Aubrey, Cooper and Brenda watch the video camera footage and Santa pops his head into the frame for a cheap jump scare. He does actually. When the fuck did he find the time to do exactly. that? Exactly. Santa goes to the pervy priest's Christmas Eve sermon and it is alarming. It, it is the scary... It's scarier than fucking Christmas on the square when he did the court thing in the church. Um, like, there's one other person there, a little old lady. And the priest... Oh my god, he is like, shouts, oh, fuck American Idol and internet pornography. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's just like going on and on and on in this really evil voice. It's just meant to be a normal fucking character. I think that the whole idea is that he's meant to be this big hypocrite because he's there and he's telling this old lady, you know, that modern society and, and all that and sin and sin and sin and he's just robbed from the uh, from the church fund mm. and he's taking, you know, boo pictures of those girls. I'm just like, I get it. Like, you know... <laughs> Why do you have to go so hard exactly. on this scene? We understand he's a hypocrite. Him just being a priest that does these things. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to get this real shit scene of him overacting. Exactly. But Santa puts everyone out of misery and cuts the priest's fingers off and stabs him to death. And then he gives the old lady the money that the priest stole and leaves. Aubrey questions a guy at a bar who lives at the motel where the uh, softcore porn shoot was happening um, because he matches the description of the killer. He tells her he's going to get his girlfriend so wasted oh, that she God. won't know if he fucks her in the ass. Yeah. He tells a story about a guy who went around killing people who were naughty because uh, his wife cheated on him. Aubrey says it's an urban legend and then calls this phone number randomly that this guy has on him. Whose phone is that? No idea. Absolutely no idea. He runs away. Aubrey chases him and he hits her over the head and slashes her with a knife. Um, to which she later says, I'm fine and he didn't get me. No, he's seen you get slashed with a knife. You've got no injury whatsoever, though. Um, and... and that urban legend was literally just a story about... A guy whose wife left him for another man, mm -hmm. and he attacked them outside of court. Yeah, throwaway a, story. With a flamethrower. 
throwaway story that spoiler alert turns out to be who this guy actually is but yeah. he's a kid yeah um Malcolm McDowell turns up for some more bad acting he's like I'm on his tail now there's nowhere safe okay great Aubrey calls her dad and tells him she's not a good enough cop Aubrey tells Cooper she doesn't think Carson is the killer because it doesn't make any sense Cooper tells her not to put avocado on the burger Joe, some guy who can't act and is dressed as Santa, knocks on Aubrey's car window and asks if she uh, heard about a guy who got killed and then just walks away. What? Why? Are we going to look further at that avocado on the burger? Um, essentially, what he's saying is putting avocado on the burger is just middling things up and as simple as best. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, Cooper say, he then says he the can mentality of the people that wrote this he says he can smell fear and starts talking shit about dinosaurs and tigers Santa strangles the mayor with Christmas lights whilst on the phone to Cooper who thinks the line is just breaking up and can't hear that he's clearly been murdered yeah the mayor's daughter tells her boyfriend uh, Jason Mewes from earlier on uh, that she's going to lighten his sack and start sucking him off Whilst telling him that Santa's going to come early this year. Get it? I get it. She has That's a surprise hilarious. for him. Goes to get it. Comes back in sexy red underwear. And says, I'm ready when you are, killer. Really? <laughs> the boyfriend jumps out on her. Santa slams the door on him and removes the handle. Throws his axe in slow motion. Cuts the back of her heel. Picks her up. And copies the original. Impales her on the deer antlers. That's an incredible throw for a giant axe to just yeah. sort of slice her mm-hmm. heel. It's like, really, well done, well done. Santa gives a boyfriend an axe to the back and smashes his head open with it, which is probably the best kill of the film. That's true. Uh, Santa gives the mayor's young daughter a bloody candy cane, and she says, Santa, you forgot the cookies. And we move on. Aubrey and Cooper investigate a Christmas parade in the style of Jingle All The Way. Uh, they capture per- style of jingle. All the way. <laughs> they, they capture the pervy Santa from the start, and Cooper says, "You nasty, sadistic prick." They lock him up. Uh, he gives Aubrey a ball and rant about Christmas. Cooper sends Aubrey back to the motel to find more evidence, where she finds Carson straight away. Uh, he holds a gun to her and she shoots him in the head. Like, did she not think to just shoot him in the leg? Maybe um, you know, didn't have to actually kill him. So she spots a skift similar to the one her dad tried giving her and has a Saw-style flashback, uh, like they have it in the Saw films, uh, where she sees the same gift being given to all the victims. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Giles sings We Wish You a Merry Christmas at Cooper, and, and then Cooper asks if he thinks this is Glee, tells him to take the trash out, and Giles says, What is this, garbage day? Giles finds an empty car playing metal music and gets an axe to the eye. Why is Santa listening to metal? Cooper opens the present, delivered to the station. That's the difference. He should have been listening to Warm Side of the Door. Yeah. Uh, it's a lump of coal. Santa appears and uh, Malcolm McDowell says, Big mistake bringing a flamethrower to a gunfight. No, that doesn't make any sense. And also it's not. No. A big mistake. Um, yeah, because Santa sets them on fire. <laughs> Aubrey goes home to find that her father has been gutted and her mother tied up and put in a closet because, you know, 
He's very selective this Santa, who he wants to kill. Pervy Santa tries having a fight with Killer Santa, and uh, apparently they can't use the same uh, line as the original, they can't say naughty. So Killer Santa says, Not nice. <laughs> not really? Nice. Not nice. <laughs> he puts knuckle dusters on and beats Pervy Santa to death. Aubrey arrives, finds Cooper's body and looks for Brenda. She finds Pervy Santa's body, and she has a bit of a scrap with the Killer Santa. Uh, the sprinklers are on this entire time, by the way, of course. So it's very dramatic, very wet. Um, Aubrey finds the flamethrower, sets Santa on fire, despite the sprinklers. Um, I thought that. <laughs> I like, yeah. Sure and the sprinklers the, are still going by on. the way, the place is fully on fire, burning to the ground by the end of this, and the sprinklers are still on. <laughs> so they're pretty shit sprinklers. Yeah. I don't know what's coming out of this. It's not water, that's for certain. Um... And, uh, yeah, she finds Brenda. They, uh, they leave whilst the station's on fire. We see Santa's mask on fire for about ten minutes, uh, but no Santa. He pulls up in a truck somewhere with hilariously bad pizza-looking burns on his face. They must have used the pull the budget on the other effects. Yeah. Um, and it's revealed through a flashback that he was actually the guy from the story Carson was telling. Uh, is his son. He's grown up and... Uh, just killing random people for no reason. I got mixed up. I I thought it was the actual guy and this nope. was some sort of supernatural thing. It was his son. How did we find out it was his son? Though? Because it zooms in on his son in the car watching him. <gasps> oh, of course. Yeah. And then during the end credits, we get a uh, rock version of Silent Night where the lyrics are changed to fit the events of the film. And this song's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Um, the whole idea is that he was punishing people, but I'm not sure what they were getting punished for. Yeah, a lot of them did. All of them. Some of the very few characters who actually didn't do anything wrong in the film still died. So, getting into comparisons. Cinematography kills, scares and soundtrack. Uh, 1984. It looks great still. I mean, there's not really... Yeah, the there's, there's some really great shots in it. Yeah, you know, it's it's nineteen eighty four. They, you know, slightly low budget. It looks decent for what it is. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and there are and some great shots. The the kills are fantastic. The the practical effects still look great to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, They're it, inventive. Yeah. Um, some nice references, you know, in them as well. It's very much slasher kills, isn't they? Yeah. Making use of whatever he's got handy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, and, of course, Sandra has the warm side of the door. I mean, what more could you ask for? Uh, do you know what? It's, it's, the soundtrack's so good, I bought you on vinyl, didn't uh, you I? You did, you did. So we, we have the soundtrack the, on vinyl. The score is great. Yeah. The, the score is really eerie and atmospheric. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a really good soundtrack. M- moving on to 2012, the cinematography, it looks like a generic action film. And the soundtrack was just... It just exists. There's yeah, nothing special to it. No. Uh, the kills, on the other hand, were really good. Um, were probably the, well, they, they were the best thing about the film. Yes. Yeah. Um, like the the head splitting one with the axe, it looked great. The the antlers kill was a lot more graphic in this one. I found. Um, yeah, just every kill just had a lot of thought put into it, and it it, it looked great. Yeah, but it also did that thing where. The parts of the film that were so dark, even when the mm. lights were meant to be on, that the kills looked better for it. 
Yeah. Because you couldn't see the details that potentially could have, you yeah. know, made it look a little fake. So it was good in that sense. Um, but I just... Overall, I cannot forgive how dark the fucking film was. Yeah. And so many of these fucking films... I, do, I really don't understand it, particularly with the remakes as well. Mm-hmm. Why Why is everything so fucking dark? I uh, know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I'm going to give everything to the original either way. I mean, like I said, the, the kills, you know, they are good in mm. the remake, but I think the original just wins in every aspect. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think absolutely. Uh, characters, it's, it's hard, you can't really compare them. So I've just noted down the three main characters from both films. So... Um, uh, we could compare characters as a whole. So, 1984, you've got Billy, uh, who's played by Robert Brian Wilson when he's 18, Danny Wagner when he's 8, and Jonathan Best when he's 5. Uh, Lillian Chauvin, who plays uh, Mother Superior, and Sister Margaret, who is played by Gilmer McCormick. Um, I think Mother Superior, um, Lillian Chauvin, she went off to better things, didn't she? Bigger things, shall I say. She was in Predator 2. She was in Predator 2. I think she may have had a few other roles as well. Yeah. Um, but she was established before. Yeah. She, she, was, she was an older woman. Yeah, no, she's, she's great in this. She, she's really, really good. Um, you know, she's a believable bitch. Uh, she's horrible. And, and she's fully committed to the role. Yeah, she did, she did actually, and it it works better for what she needs to do. Yeah, she has some funny lines and funny line oh, yeah. deliveries. Yeah, there's because, a camp value yeah, to it. Yeah, there is. Uh, through time, you know, I I think because we're obviously watching it now and not in 1984, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's a camp value to it. But she, she commits, and you kind of have to in these sort of roles. Yeah, and I think Sister Margaret's a great character as well. I think there's a good blend there between the two of them. Um, you know, you've got that character there that's actually likable. Um, yeah, so yeah, Sister Margaret doesn't get as much, no. does she? Um, I was just remembering what the Lillian Chauvin, um, what she went on to. She played Joey's grandmother oh, okay. in Friends. That's what I remembered her from. But yeah. And uh, Billy is, yeah, he he's really great in the role because... He's got that sort of uh, you know innocent thing to him, boy next door type look, but once he's killing, it is it is easy to forget that you know when he's going around killing everyone. I mean, it is it has got a comic side to it when he's running around shouting naughty and punish, but he's he's good. He's, yeah, he's it's good more of a physical role yeah. than anything else. He doesn't once he sort of loses it, he doesn't have much dialogue. He doesn't have much beforehand. No, uh, a lot of the emotional stuff is with the kids. Uh, when he was a kid, um, and and he, the kid act before a kid actor, he yeah. did quite well yeah. in those scenes, minus the mullet. Um, <laughs> but it's a real, it's a character study. The the film, you know, it it's looking at and however far fetched it may seem, the film is still a character study mm. of someone who has been traumatized, and it's affected their mental state. Yeah. And it does that well, and it's played well, and, you know, the actors do a good job. You know, this mm-hmm. this isn't Oscar-worthy stuff. It doesn't have to be. Uh, but the actors do what they need to do. Yeah. Uh, whereas in 2012, we have Deputy Aubrey, played by Jamie King, Sheriff Cooper by Malcolm McDowell, and uh, Ronald Jones Jr., 
slash Killer Santa, played by Rick Skeen. Um, I mean, as I've already said, the performances are fucking dreadful. In it, I mean, Jamie yeah. King isn't terrible, but it's her character. Like, she's not given anything to do. She hasn't. You I, know? I thought they would have gone with the character study of her. Yeah. We get so much of her in, in the start. We find out she's a widow. You know, we spend so much time with her and it never really goes anywhere. Much like the crossword mm. solution. It doesn't go anywhere. No. And it's just shit. No. And Sheriff Cooper's even worse. He's just there to act stupid. Oh. You know, he's it's such a dumb character. There's nothing to him. No. No, there's not. And if you're going to go for all-out comedy, just... Do it. Yeah. Just do a fucking comedy. Make it... You know, the first film has comedy elements yeah. to it. You could just take that and go all out with it. Yeah. But they couldn't figure out what they were wanting to do. No. And, you know, it's a shame because Malcolm McDowell's obviously, you know, he was amazing in The Clockwork Orange, but nowadays he'll... This just proves he'll just accept anything. And it, is, it really shows. I mean, I, I can't see Michael Dahl sitting there reading that script and saying, oh, yeah, I have to do this film. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, the the killer, yeah, I mean, what can you say? He just he does what he does. Well, yeah, he's not really a... The thing is, he wears a mask. Mm. So we don't see any facial expressions. No. He does, it, all we hear him say is not nice. Yeah. Um, the big reveal, the big don't. reveal at the end was fucking stupid. It made absolutely no sense. It was really clutching at straws. You, you could basically tell it was a film that was not made for characters. It was yeah. a film made for kills and then just adding stuff around it. Exactly. It's like someone said, oh, you have to have some sort of twist. It's, oh, it's mm. a remake. You have to have some sort of twist. Like, uh, oh, let's introduce this flamethrower story and yeah. have it as his son. The fuck? So, yeah, so, I mean, for, for characters and just overall, you know, obviously the original wins in every single aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the original is, you know, it, it's it's pretty much God-tier slasher for me. It's just, as far as 80s slasher goes, I think it's just as good as the original Friday the 13th. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a great film. And I've appreciated it more and more over the years, um, the more I've watched it, and, and the more I've watched the second film, which helps me appreciate it more. Um but it is a really great slasher film, and I think it often gets overlooked. I mean, you know, it has like a 5.8, 5.9, something like that on IMDb, and it really does get overlooked by how good it is. It depends what you're looking for. You know, if you're just looking for a good, fun slasher film with some camp elements, you know, and some serious yeah. stuff. There's some levels to it, mm. but if you are just looking for some camp Christmas killer fun then this is probably the one to go to yeah yeah i can't think of another one apart well black christmas i wouldn't call a fun film black christmas (laughs) is just a great film christmas evil isn't a fun film no christmas evil isn't a fun film whereas this is a fun slasher film um i mean there's there is um a film i'm going to mention on my best of the month actually but also what i'm not going to mention on my best of the month there is don't open till christmas Oh yeah, yeah. That's that was fun. May may have to speak about that on the podcast. That was before future. this as well, wasn't it? Was it? That was a killer Santa. I oh. swear that was before. Oh. No, he was killing Santas. 
Oh, he was killing Santa. Of course yeah. he was. So yeah, so that Silent Deadly Night remake is trash, and the original is great. So go watch the remake. Uh, One One Films put a release out. It's probably somewhere else. It's probably on Prime or something like that as well. Um, but now it is time for our final best and worst of the month. Now, obviously, this is a little earlier this month because Christmas Day is a Friday. We didn't want to be going releasing an episode on Christmas Day, but I mean, you know, with the way this year's been, we might as well have people yeah, still yeah, listen exactly. to. Exactly, this is an early gift. Yes. To so we've watched. We've watched a lot. Um, so far this month so we've got enough to talk about mm. um, and of course our final episode of the year will be our best and worst of the year itself so Chris would you like to go first yeah I'm just trying to remember I'll be home for Christmas <laughs> we didn't mention it on the last one did we no I fucking hated that film it's <laughs> the it's like late 90s Disney film with the kid from Home Improvement and Jessica Biel. I thought it was shit. I genuinely thought it was awful. It wasn't funny. It was cringe. Um, it, was it a bit misogynistic? Hmm. I, I don't know, because Jessica film? Biel's character is constantly speaking up for women's rights, gay is. rights. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she was, weren't she? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just, it was shit. It was that cheesy shit. Um, I watched Lethal Weapon for the first time. I enjoyed that. That was fun. Uh, Die Hard 2 for the first time. That was good. I watched Batman Returns. And I'm counting this as for the first time. Because I, I think I kind of remember watching it when I was much younger. Uh, but loved Batman Returns. That was great. Um, so all the Christmas films. Um, the best film that I watched this month is The Apartment, the Billy Wilder film. Uh, amazing. Just hilarious. Um, so romantic. The characters were so likeable. Um, it won Best Picture at the Oscars, and I can understand why. I just I really fucking love that film. Um, watched Brazil for the first time, didn't we? Did. Um, that was good. Um, All That Heavens Allows... Um, that was amazing. Really like that. I can't wait to, to watch more Douglas Sirk films. But the worst film that I watched... Oh, it's... It's a tie. It's The Hooked Generation <laughs> yeah. and Death Curse of Tartoo. Now, I know you probably want to go a little further into yeah, that. Yeah, I'll say my best first. Um, so, my best is also The Apartment. Uh, for the same reasons you said, it was, it was really great. Um, I have some runners up though, like two honorable mentions is All That Heaven Allows and Dial Code Santa Claus, yes. uh, which was basically a predecessor to Home Alone. Yeah. It's basically just near enough the same plot, like it's a kid setting up traps for a, a home invader. Um, but it's a horror film, and the home invader is someone dressed as Santa Claus. Uh, it, I genuinely thought this film was absolutely flawless. I thought it was fantastic. Was it French? French. French, yes. French film? Yes. Um, yeah, it's just incredible in every way possible. Absolutely recommend it highly. Um, yeah, I've got a long list for the worst of the month. Death Curse of Tartu and Hook Generation is my joint first worst, but honourable mentions include, and chosen by Chris, an En Vogue Christmas. (gasps) How dare you. Tell a lie right now on the podcast and say you enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. It was (laughs) 
fun. <laughs> it was camp fun, and I love En Vogue. We wish you a turtle Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I did make you watch that. Stupid I? fucking thing. I don't know why it exists. <laughs> the prom. So just, uh, we wish you a turtle Christmas is a television special that the Ninja Turtles did. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, the prom. The prom. Um, written by a gay guy, but has the most offensive gay stereotype I've ever seen in any film played by a straight man. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy, I don't know what the fuck anyone was thinking on that film. Um, especially Glenn Close and Amy Adams. Uh, one of the most bizarre things I've seen in quite some time, including Christmas on the Square. Um, High School Musical, the musical The Holiday Special. Oh my god. Which just has a bunch of rich kids bragging about how great their lives are um, while singing in front of their expensive belongings. <laughs> It is <laughs> I'm here. fucking weird. We're all stuck in our mansions in LA. Literally. Sing your song in front of a swimming pool. There, there's a, a, a weird <laughs> sexualized scene of two shirtless guys in the swimming pool singing. Uh, they're meant to be school kids. What the fuck's going on there? Um, but seriously, there, there's a scene where one of the guys literally sings in front of his car. His big fucking car that he brags about for 10 minutes before singing it. <laughs> And he's got all of his presents piled up outside of it as well. What the fuck were they thinking? I was just... Yeah, clearly they were trying to give people a bit of Christmas cheer under the lockdown. By bragging about what those people watching it probably haven't got. But it's, yeah, it's kind of a bit like... Um, why are you doing it in front of, you know, your million pound house? Yeah, it's fucking terrible. There's tap dancing, there's Christmas tree moving, there's... Terrible covers. There's, it's, it's, yeah, it's very cheesy. I, very cheesy. I don't think we were the audience for it. Who is the audience for that? Preteen girls. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. So my joint first was. I mean, all of those could have easily been number one. The, the absolute bottom of the barrel uh, was Death Curse of Tartu and Hook Generation. Part of the William Griffey. Uh, he came from the Swamp box set released recently by Arrow Video. Which I really can't recommend. Um, it's a real shame because it looked good. It looked like um, similar to uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yeah. We thought it would be fun, campy, low budget horror. And what it was, was really fucking boring. Really boring and really racist. Yeah, we did. Uh, like, it's not, you can't even put it down to it's a product of the times because he's yeah. even quite racist in his introductions that film this year. It's, yeah, it's it's absolute trash. Well, what one of the films we switched off, didn't we? Yeah. So we, the, the, so Sting of Death. That was fun. That was fun. That was like a, a bikini film uh, with horror elements. Very stupid, but very fun. Um, Tattoo and then Hook Generation, which were just shit and boring. And then we tried to watch, was it The, the Psychedelic Priest? Yeah. Um, and there was just, and we were, you're like, okay, we, we paid money for the box set, so we'll watch it. And um, uh, it got to a point where some woman um, said something very racist and no one sort of called her out on it. No. Before. And we were just like, oh, fuck this. Switch yeah. it off. No, not watching it. It's just bullshit. I really can't believe how I released it. It's, it has nothing redeeming there. 
if they just released Sting of Death, I, I'd completely understand, but the rest of the films are just fucking awful. Death Curse of Tattoo is... Literally, the plot revolves around a Native American just controlling the thoughts of animals to kill people. Yeah. They're curiosity pieces rather than must-see cinema. They're as far away from must-see as you can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's more films in the box that we just didn't bother with. It's just not not worth it. It wasn't. It wasn't worth it. But yeah, so that's the best. That's our final best and worst of the month of the year, and uh, we will be back on Tuesday where we will be talking about our final Christmas film of the year, which will be Blood Beat. Yes. So excited for this one. I know I say it every time you mention it. I really hope it's good. And really hope it's good. Kicking off original versus remake in 2021, we will be discussing the Hitcher original versus remake. Will we? Yeah, we will. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, so until then, if you are Silent Night, Dead Night fans, let us know on social media. We're Horror Court Trash on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Let us know your favourite Christmas horror films and all that. If um, you've ever done a cover of Warm Side of the Door, please, oh, please send, send us, us the link. Yeah, yeah. yeah a nice acoustic version. Go down well. I might be forced to do it myself at this point. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter, and DeadAtGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, rate and you and subscribe, like and follow on anything else. And... I believe that is all, so we will see you on Tuesday. Bye.